0: So today we're jumping back right into where we left off back at Matthew chapter 2. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read starting in verse 1 I'm going to jump down to verse 9 and you can go back and read as you do but this verse says this it says and when they had when they heard the king they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the young child But a baby it was a young child and it says and when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly great joy now today I want to talk about why that happened why this, that one line right there happened. Why? We know before last week's message, the first gift was because what they said was, they said, we are looking for a king. So the first gift was the king of, the gift of gold. Now, the next thing we see them do is they exploded with great joy. I want to know Why? What happened? to make that happen. What was their response to that? And so today I believe I'm going to be able to show you the secret of joy, exceedingly great joy in your life. And it says this, so it says they had great joy... Let me find where I am again. Rejoiced in exceedingly great joy. And when they had come to the house, see, not in a manger anymore, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. That's that word, ponchinoi, which means greatly, deeply devoted, usually to a deity. It says, and when they had opened their eyes, their treasures, they presented, him gifts. They presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this was penned by Matthew. And Matthew was divinely inspired by the Holy Ghost. And so when you read the story, it's pretty cool to see this story. But when I read the story, my mind gets a little frustrated on the fact that, you know, he didn't explain a whole lot in this story. As a matter of fact, there were parts of this story he didn't tell us much about at all. And you would think they would be key parts because, you know, it's the story. And so when you're reading this, he gets descriptive over two things which I wish he would have got descriptive over more like when he talks about the star. It didn't tell us anything about the star except that it was a star. There's no description here. It doesn't, I mean, I've always wondered, man, what kind of star was it? What I wish Matthew would have, you know, the Holy Spirit would have led Matthew to tell us more about what this star is instead of just a star and so it's kind of like that that just leaves, there's no description there. And so it makes you question why. Then also, it leaves for description, he doesn't go into great description for the word wise men because he doesn't tell us anything about them except that they came from the East. But man, I know a lot of people that live in the East. And I need more information, Matthew. But then it brings up the thing what did he get descriptive about? Because See, this was divinely written by the Holy Spirit. There are two things in here he got very descriptive about. One, he got descriptive about Jesus. He let us know things in his life had changed. He no longer was a baby. He now was a young child and he was living in a house. And he was with Mary in the house. And so he got very descriptive because the whole story, the whole point is Jesus. But then he got descriptive again about the gift. And he broke the gift down. It says he presented to them gifts. Now, if he would have used the same English and same thought patterns as he did the star, it would have said he would have brought gifts, but he didn't. He went to a deeper level of understanding with the gifts and broke it down and told exactly what the gifts were. And so in writing, they uh, Matthew somebody wrote a, a commentary about it saying the reason why it was so descriptive with the gift is because the gift would be considered the major subject of this story. And so that's why we're looking at these the way we are, is because if the story is about Jesus, but the subject that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand is the gifts, because it's what brings us to a place to be able to adore Him. Then we're going to take a look into them. So I'm going to throw some history at you. Okay. And, uh, we're going to go back and we talked a little bit about the magi or the wise men last week. Now, again, I tell you, Matthew, um, didn't give us a much, didn't give us any breakdown on it, but thank the Lord for, um, historians because, uh, there is a historian named, uh, Herod, the historian, Herod, Deutist is my best shot. <laughs> right? he, he's a historian, and he went into great detail about the study of who these wise men are. And you're fixing to say, Cricket, this is a lot of boring geek stuff. I understand, but you've got to understand this to understand what we're going to be talking about today, which is the gift of frankincense. He, they presented with gold because they were looking for a king. But frankincense is a different gift than gold. And I'm sure when the wise men, the Magi, showed up with this gift, this is not a gift that you would give a toddler. Now, gold, I don't care what age you are. Any kid likes money. <laughs> gold was... You know, they probably thought, yeah, Jesus was like, woohoo!" But when Jesus got this this incense... Mary and Joseph, Jesus probably. You ever got a gift you just thought, th- "Thanks." Yeah, I, 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 Jennifer always says I'm the worst because I can't hide emotion on my face, and Jennifer used to only give me gifts that you could use, and not gifts that you want. And it took us a while being married for her to learn that. I want gifts. I want. I don't want gifts. I need. Don't give me nothing. I need. It's like me buying you a vacuum cleaner. Why would you? Would you be happy about that? No. All right. So don't give me what I need. Give me what I want. But so this is one of those gifts that when they gave it to a toddler, I mean, it was seemed pointless. But that's not the story. Let's go back into the Magi. All right. So we talked last week the history of the Magi, that they were from the. The people of the Medes, they were a priestly order of the Medes. Now, the Medes were an ancient nation and the Medes were a large group of of people. They they were a large tribe, kind of. There's a lot of similarities to the Magi and to the children of Israel. For example... um, well, one we don't have a word for actually what this word is in English It's magoi is the word of magoi was what they really were, but we couldn't transfor- transport the word magoi. We had to, so we just put in English the word wise men, and so they were magoi. They were the magi, and the mag- we get the word magi out of magoi. They were a priestly tribe from the Medes. Now the Medes encompassed was a large group of people that encompassed most of the Persian empire. And there were multiple tribes in the Mede nation, just like the children of Israel had 12 tribes of Israel. But the Magi were a tribe in the Medes, just like the Levites are in the children of Israel. They were the priestly tribe for the whole nation and because they were a small group of people but they they had a specific job they had to carry out they were chosen if you were born into a magi family then you were going to spend your life it was you were hereditarily born into a priest uh, ob- obligation of being a priest for the nations now these guys were so good at what they did that Every nation in the world at that time that we you know, have reference in the Bible days on longed for the Magi to be their priests. They were very well sought after. They were, um, you know, they were very influential. We see it in the book of Daniel when the Babylonian Empire wanted them to be um, priests and advisors to the king. They also were involved in uh, Persia. They were involved in Greece. They were even longed for and wanted and involved in Rome. These, this priestly tribe were very influential and moved up in areas of power pretty much in the known world. Now, they were, just like the Levites, a group of another nation. They were the priests for the Medes, but yet they became used all over the world. Then, next thing is that they, uh, they were monifo- moniolistic is what it's called. They were the worshippers of one God. They didn't worship multiple gods. Their belief was they worshipped one God. Now, in the beginning, in the ancient Magi, what they did was they worshipped the God of fire. The God of fire, um, they believed that fire, physical fire was the power of God. And so they worshipped the fire God, and they actually had an altar that they had a perpetual flame on that was to never go out, that they believed that the fire, God fire had lit that flame. And this is, I'm telling this for a reason, just like the way God laid out for the children of Israel. They were a nation. They had a priestly tribe, the, the Levites. Their job was to be the priest for the nation. And they were to do the work of the temple. They had an altar that had a fire on it. The Bible says that was to burn and never go out. Also, the Magi had another altar that they did human sa- or not human safe, sacrifices on. And, well, people would bring animals and they would sacrifice it before the God of fire. Then they would take it off and burn the parts that were to give the sacrifice. But then the meat would be cooked. And the priests, the magi, and the people that brought the sacrifice would consume what was left. Just like the similarities in the children of Israel. People would bring sacrifices and they would sacrifice them on the altar for their sins and things. And then they would move it to an uh, uh, offering and move it to the, the fire and have the fats and the things burn up and then the priest and the people would eat the food. They also, like the children of Israel, they had clean animals and unclean animals. They perceived some to be clean and unclean, like lizards and snakes and so forth, just like the children of Israel. They also had they cared very much so it was very sacred to the handling of a dead body. They believed if you touched a corpse that you would be defiled, just like the children of Israel and the Levites. I'm telling you all this so you understand. This group of people had risen up in power, and they were probably the most sought-after people in the world at that time because of the influence and the the, uh, position they'd moved into. They had become so powerful that... They at their jobs of advising kings and, you know, being priests for nations, that there actually became a saying in the old days, and we can see it in two places in the Bible, in the book of Esther, Esther 1, and in Daniel chapter 5, it said this, it says, The law of the Medes and the Persians. That meant this. That meant when a magi would advise a king of something, and the king would stand up and say what the Magi had advised him to say, it became law. For example, when the Magi or the, the, uh, the advisors told King Darius and Daniel, you should make a law that says you can worship nobody but you, when he stood up and said it, it became law when they said you should make a law that nobody can pray to anybody but you, and the king stood up and said it, it became law. That's how powerful these guys were. They, they were so powerful, to be a Persian king, two things had to take place. To be, before anyone could be crowned king, if they were a prince, and before they could be moved to king, two things had to happen. One, they had to master the art and disciplines of a magi. And then two... They had to have the approval and the appointment of the Magi. These guys were so powerful in society and history at that time. They had the power to make kings or not. That's pretty powerful, guys. I'm saying all this for a reason. But around 6th century BC, the Magi shifted and changed. And they started morphing into not just one group of magi that worshipped the fire god, they morphed into really three different groups now at this time. And where they morphed into one group was because King Darius had made a law at that time that said he wanted one nation's religion. He got tired of everywhere he went, people worshipping different things, and he was going to make it simple, so he was going to create, he was going to make a law that there was only going to be one nation's religion. Religion and it was going to be the religion of of Zeo, say it for me brother naaman zeoastrianism Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism Zoroastrianism, and it was a, a, the worshiping of a certain God, and so when King Darius said that he made it law, there were a group of the magi that decided, well, we get paid by him, and our life is it in. So hey, sounds like a good idea to me. Let's just change gods, and they began to be Zoroastrians. They they quit being what they had always been. Now they were worshiping a different god and claimed he's the only god. Then there was a group that said, you know what? We believe in what we've been living for. We believe that the fire god is the real god. So. They didn't convert to the, new Christian the, the not new Christian, the new religion, just because a king decided it should be. They said that we are serving the one true God. But then there was this other group of magi that we find in the Book of Daniel that had been influenced by Daniel, because Daniel had been instrumental in Daniel chapter five in saving their life. And when Daniel had saved their life, King Darius put them over, put him over all the Magi. Daniel now became the leader of the Magi. And the Magi that served under Daniel, they, Daniel introduced the biblical teachings, the Levitical teachings, the, you know, the God Bible, and they, they began to see Daniel serve and live for, The true God. And what happened was, they didn't see Daniel just doing this out of religion. They saw Daniel doing this, and as he worshipped and served Daniel's God, they saw Daniel's God get involved in Daniel's life. As a matter of fact, they saw Daniel's God close the mouth of the king's lions. They saw Daniel's God get into the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and walk around with them while they were right in the middle. They saw Daniel's God when Daniel, out of devotion and worship, chose not to partake of the king's stuff like others were, but to keep his devotion to his God and eat the things that his God were well, okay. They saw Daniel get healthier than all the rest. They saw Daniel get smarter than all the rest. They saw Daniel become better looking. That's why Christians are so pretty. As I, tell you what, if you're single and you want to get married, hey, go to church. Christians are better looking than anybody out there because that's what happens when you serve God. And so it, the Bible says that they that the king picked the best looking, the smartest and the bri- bri- wisest, and Daniel was their leader. So he was a good-looking cat, but it's all because he chose to serve the living God. Well, this impacted the Magi that were serving with him. And when by history, we know that they began to study the God of Daniel. And they began to look into the Bible and find where the prophecies about Daniel's God were there. And we know that when it came... Hundreds of years later, we find a group of Magi still believing in the true God that they saw get involved in Daniel's life. It wasn't just anymore a life of service to a God and you not get anything for it. It just... A service to God because it's the right thing to do or service to a God that sits so far away from us that we can't have any involvement with them that is religion for years this priestly group of people just lived religion but then they encountered Daniel and Daniel had a relationship with a living God and it just wasn't just service to, to the God it was involvement and relationship with the true God And he wants to be involved in your life as much as you want to touch him. And they saw this and it changed them enough that hundreds of years later we find them traveling for theologians believe anywhere from 18 months to two years to get there. The reason why they believe that is because Herod put the degree out to kill any child that was two years and younger. So they were traveled, they were, Herod was trying to get the baby in that time frame because Herod asked them the exact question. When is this child born? So there's a time frame for us to understand to work with. They were willing to travel up to two years to have a chance to encounter this God. Now, that's really big when you understand the gifts. All right, so into where I get these are the Magi, they were king-appointers, they were sought after and feared. Kings wanted them. They advised. They had power. They had the power to make kings, and yet they show up in this Christmas story. Because, could you imagine? Do you remember? You smell this incense. Do you remember that when there was a time that you didn't serve God because either one, you just wasn't fully convinced that He's real, or you know maybe you didn't think you needed Him, or but all of a sudden you realized. Do you remember the day that happened? That you realized that you needed God in your life, and the excitement that you had that moment. I can't. I look back and read the story, and you can you can remember these guys. I mean, you can picture these guys when they saw Daniel's God, and they spent their life serving religion, but then they longing came awakening inside of them. They had to find who this God is, and so for years. They were able to pass that passion down to their children. And their children were anticipating that one day we're going to be able to have a relationship with this God that is the one true God. And it's not about religion anymore. I tell you, there's no sadder existence than just being religious, doing what we do, and never having a relationship with God. I tell you, if you're going to waste your life, don't waste it doing that. Because you're going to get the same result as the person partying every weekend. You're going to get the same right, because of this. You're, when, when it's all said and done, Jesus said, there's going to be many who say, you didn't do this for you, didn't they? They said, that's our religion because I never knew you. you. You can do religion and not know God. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Religion is no fun. If you're just going to do religion, you might as well go sin because the Bible says there is a little fun in sin. But religion, there's nothing in it. A lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of headache, a lot of bitterness, a lot of cantankerous people. But there's more than religion. There is relationship available. And then this is what it says. The reason why all that's important is because... see. It wasn't like they had to the Magi didn't have to accept this new thing. You can see the hand of God was preparing the Magi worshippers of another God. He cares about them too. And he had prepared them and he'd even laid out the blanket of how the worship protocols for the real God were so similar to theirs that it wasn't a hard pill for them to swallow. That when they recognized the God that was actually involved in them, they were able I can live that I can live that life. Wasn't this outlandish stuff? I'm here to tell you, you say, I don't think I can live for God like I see other people. I'm here to tell you, you can. It's not that hard. You just decide He's King. You just decide He's King and you can do it. It's, it's not that foreign of a concept. And so these guys were able to walk into an encounter with God. And first, they recognized Him as King. They gave Him kingship. But then... Most the Bible the second thing they gave him was frankincense. And this is important. And we're going to break down frankincense now. And then I'm going to try to merge these two history lessons together, if that's okay. All right? Um, they, they decided he would worship. They would worship his king. And then they brought gifts. The next gift was frankincense. Now, frankincense is real important to the Jewish people. But can you imagine how Mary and Joseph and Jesus thought about that gift? You don't give a kid that. But this gift just wasn't a gift. Well, you gave, when they gave him the gold, they thought, yeah, we can use that. I can see how they, that's a good gift. But when you gave us the frankincense, you don't give a toddler that. You know, what good is that for a toddler? Well, you got to understand what, in the Jewish worshiping of God, frankincense is very important. As a matter of fact, it's mentioned 17 times in the Bible, and it's an association with the worship, and it's an association with the priestly duties to our God. And so, frankincense is extremely important when it comes to understand that the gifts that they gave them were not just go to Walmart and try to find something that you think they would like. They were very prophetic and emblematic into this story, into our lives. It's important to us what they gave them. It still affects lives, what they gave him. And frankincense is an incense That is burned. Seventeen times in the Bible it's mentioned and every one of those times it's mentioned it's in association with priestly duties or priestly worship. Very important. Priests used frankincense for the priest and as a duty of the priest unto God. Alright? So what they did was one, this frankincense, it was a smell. You can smell it. That's what's actually burning is the, the smell of frankincense. And it was to be burned and placed on clothing when a, a priest was anointed he was to have the oil infused with frankincense put on smell like frankincense all right when he when they would do priestly duties they were burn in the going into the tabernacle it was to burn and create a smell inside there that was very noticeable and they as they would spend time in it they would smell like it it was also mentioned in offerings to the Lord. As a matter of fact, there was a what they call a meal offering. And in a meal offering, it was used. And I want to read to you because this is how sacred of a thing this is. If we can go to uh, Exodus chapter 30, I got to find it in my notes. I'm all over the place. In Exodus 30, this is how important this was. 34 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices. Stackle and omcha, wherever you have omnicha, however you want to pronounce it, and galbium. All right, now these are spices, okay, that they're going to take and they're going to mix. And I'm going to bring these back up later. Just put them in your mind, okay? I'll bring these back up later because it'll be important to us. It says, and pure frankincense. So they had spices, but it was to be added to pure frankincense. Theologians and Writers say that this was really the main ingredient to this concoction was frankincense. The others were additives to make the frankincense stronger. I'll explain that later. It says, "...and you shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salt pure and holy, and you shall beat some of it very fine and put put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting." Where I will meet with you, and it shall be most holy to you. It says, But as for the incense which you shall make, this is what I want to show you, this is how important this is. You shall not make any for yourself according to its composition. It shall be holy for the Lord. Now check out what it says next Whoever makes any like it to smell it shall be cut off from his people. This is how important this was. God said this. This is to be used coming into my presence, coming into the tabernacle and by priests. And this is actually a description of the meal offering, the grain offering, which was told by them to do in an act of thanksgiving and an act of obedience. And it says this. So when they did this, it said this. It's such a holy thing that you cannot do it for any other reason but for me. Wouldn't that be weird If of God that, you know, the stuff smell, if you love it, that's your favorite smell and you would think, man, that's what that smelled like at the tabernacle. I'd love to take that home and put it in the house and you couldn't. This smell was reserved specifically for God. You couldn't take it anywhere else. You couldn't use it to make your house smell good. You couldn't use it as a perfume on a date with a hot girl. You couldn't use it for anything else. But for simply the only thing you could use it for was to worship God. And if you did, you were cut out from his people. That's a pretty strong important issue right there, wouldn't you think? That it's only for God. Let me tell you why it was that way. Because frankincense has the ability to it, it has the ability at the point for God to it, it's just a thing that God can actually smell Himself. Let me show it to you. Leviticus two nine says this, And then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, which says this, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Amen. Saying that God smells, can smell, and He likes this smell. It's a sweet aroma to Him. He loves to smell frankincense. Picture him up in heaven when they would do this grain offering. He'd sit in heaven, man. That smells so good, man. That do you know what good smells do? Good smells draw you to them. Anybody you ever been anywhere? Um, walk in the house after a long day and you're hungry, and you. Open the door and somebody's cooking something that just smells amazing. Where's the first place you go? To the kitchen, right? I mean, you don't know. You'll we'll be working on jobs somewhere, and man. There'll be a barbecue pit burning somewhere, and I'll be smelling that. Be like, man, where's that coming from? That smell, a sweet smelling aroma, has it. it makes you. It has, gives you a desire to want to go and be drawn to this thing. Same thing works with God. It says frankincense is a, is a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. In Ecclesiastes 5.2, it says this, And walk in love. Alright? So, an action as, a Christ, as, as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. In the Old Testament, frankincense was burned and used by priests... To worship and draw the presence of God. In the New Testament, we have the ability to have frankincense in our lives, not necessarily physically, but we have the ability to symbolically have frankincense that does the exact same thing. Everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of the walk that we have with God in the New Testament. So when these guys would burn frankincense in the Old Testament, and it was a sweet-smelling fragrance to the Lord, the way people lived in the New Testament has the same ability. It comes down to this. Worship is frankincense. And when I choose to walk in love, not for just no reason at all, but it says I do it, just like Christ did, and I do it because Christ did it, then it becomes worship, and it has the same effect to God as frankincense, he said, in the Old Testament. It's pleasing to Him. In Philippians 4.18, it says this, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you, A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, and well-pleasing to God. What happened here is Paul was giving, writing this letter to the Philippians. He said, you know, that the offering that you gave was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, and it pleases him. Isn't it amazing that we have the ability to please God? Man, I get up every day thinking the way I am and who I am and what I do ain't nothing about me can please God. Is not God's so mad at me and unhappy? But the Bible says it, I have the ability to please Him. Amen. All right. So Psalms one forty-one says this verse two it says, "May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like an evening sacrifice." We need to understand, one, the Magi, what they were. they were priests. Number two, we need to understand their gift, what they brought. The frankincense they brought was a spice used by priests to be able to, for, for the priest and to be able to worship God as a priest. Now, you've got to understand what a priest is. A priest is a representation of people to God. Just like the Magi in the Old Testament, there was a tribe that was chosen, and their job was to represent the nation to God. Now, the same thing worked for Leviticus, the tribe of the Levites. The Levites were a the Levite tribe, they were the priests, and their job was to present the children of Israel to God. They were the middleman. The middleman. And you say, well, in our culture, middlemen aren't good. We, in America, we want to get rid of the middleman and just get straight to the source. But you don't understand. We are in desperate need of a middleman. And there's never been a greater middleman than Jesus. What these wise men came doing, bringing this frankincense, is they came before this child and gave him this gift that was only to be used and given for God. So what they were doing, was they read down, and He was giving this child a symbolic gift that was saying, you're not just a king, but you're also a priest. So priests were to take frankincense and use it in the duties and in the worship of God. They were pronouncing prophetically to the world that Jesus is a priest. Because me and you need a priest. We need a middleman. Ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, there was this gulf built that separated man from God. And it didn't matter how religious, how hard, how much we tried to get back to God. The gap was too big. We could not get back to God. And God could not get back to us. So there had to be a middleman, a representation... Of us to God that would bring us back together. And these men, these wise men, understood. They had spent their entire life in rituals and worshiping of other gods that they'd never been able to get to. But when they saw the star, they recognized something's fixing to change. We have longed to have a relationship with the living God through generations upon generations. And now, this star tells us it's about to change. For the first time in our history, not only do we got to just go through the rituals, but we are about to be able to step in front of a priest that will connect us back to who God really is. And it won't be out of service, and it won't be out of ritual or religion. We're going to be connected back to God. And they understood that. In the book of Job... He, there's a unique scripture. The unique scripture in the book of Job said this. Job 9, verse 33. Job's life had gotten in such a bad mess. Everything was falling apart. Everything was broken. And the truth is, he didn't do anything to deserve it. I mean, he was in a mess. And look what his prayer was. It says, If there was only somebody to mediate between us, someone to bring us Together. Job's cry, and that's been the cry of humanity since the fall of Adam. As a matter of fact, theologians and scholars believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible besides Genesis 1 1. It's the oldest book. Job predates Abraham. So the first actual man that we see out here, we see Him saying, if I only had a way to get back to God, if I only had a mediator, if I only had somebody that could bridge the gap, this situation that I'm in could be different. You may be like Job today. You may feel like God is so far away from you. You have messed up too much. You've gone too far. You're in such a bad spot that there's no way you can get back to where you need to be or or desire to be back in. No matter how hard you try, you just keep seeing the like you keep falling farther and farther away. Your prayer is exactly like if there was just somebody that could bridge this gap that we can't. The wise men recognize that there is somebody and he's here. And so they brought him this frankincense and said, be our priest, be our mediator, be our middleman. And there's no greater middleman than Jesus. There's no greater priest. The book of Hebrews, the whole theme about the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is called our high priest. Eleven times in the book of Hebrews, the main theme is Jesus being your high priest and my high priest. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, it says this. It says that we have a high priest. And it says that our high priest, who ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. unable uh, Unable to emphasize with our weakness, but... Every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with the confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is what he's saying. He's saying Jesus is our high priest, and he's not just a high priest like any other high priest. He's not one that doesn't understand what it's like to be you, because you got to understand God was fully God, Jesus was fully God, but he was also. Fully man, and so we don't have a God that don't understand. We don't have a God that hadn't been through what you've been through. We don't have a God that is so disconnected. I'm. You may make a political comment. (laughs) A lot of times when I'm watching news, I'm thinking. The guys making the laws and doing all that Have been so disconnected from what real life is They don't even understand what it is we're dealing with anymore And so a lot of them, we think I really don't. There's a gap so big They don't even know what it's like to go to work every day anymore But, so I'm saying that we, that A lot of times the enemy wants you to think that Man, God has no idea what it's like To go through what you're going through God, you don't understand, look who I'm married to God, you don't understand, look at my finances God, you don't understand, look what I'm battling and sickness I'm dealing with And this scripture says this, our high priest is not like that. Our high priest was fully God, fully man, and he fully understands. He fully understands what it's like to be God, be most powerful, be all creation, and he also understands what it's like to be man. So he's the perfect high priest to be able to grab our situation and grab heaven and pull them together. And they're in anyone else and no one ever in history has been able to do that. And these wise men were able to recognize that this baby wasn't just born king, but this baby's born with the purpose of being my high priest. And when you understand, see, all right, like this, I was told the early service. you know, I hate ants. Right, it's one of my things. I mean, I can deal with spiders. I can deal, but I hate ants. And so my girls are messy." And so they leave juice boxes in the playroom and things like that. And ants, I mean, it's like they put it on the ground and the next day ants will be there. And so I'm griping at them all the time. Throw y'all's trash. where I put in their playroom. I got four trash cans in every corner because they won't throw their junk away. And I said, throw yourself away. We don't get ants. But since I can't teach them, I had to get a can of rape. So I got raided in the kitchen. And when I come in and I find ants, man, I just kill them. I kill them all. I go out in my yard during summer and man, I poison every anthill and I will pour, I pour gas on them and lit them. I've got this vengeance against ants because my feet have been bit up so many times in my lifetime. I hate ants. So when the ants are in the house, I'm going to kill them. And the girls know that. And when the girls were younger, they, they, they didn't mind me killing red ants, but they didn't want me to kill the black ants. All right, because the black the red ants will burn you up. But the black ants, the girls are like, Dad, they're never, they'll are they get them on their hands and play with them. Don't kill the ants, Dad, don't kill the ants. But I kill all ants. And so whether they're black, green, yellow, purple, white, whatever, I'm going to kill an ant. And so I kill them. And the girls used to get, when they were younger, go, run ants, run, he's going to kill you, he's going to kill you. And, you know, and there wasn't one single time the ants ran. But it's because they didn't understand what was happening or what was going to happen or what the girls were trying to do for. Them. But if the girls and I have watched Ant bully, so I know it works if the girls would be shrunk down to ant size and learn to speak ant language and get in there with the ants, I'm sure there's a lot of ants that would listen and run when they say, "Dad's coming with the can, Run!" <laughs> And they would actually become the ant savior. That's exactly what a priest does. And Jesus is our high priest. And He understands what it's like to be an ant Because He was willing to save you and me by being shrunk down to our level and speak our language and deal with our issues and walk through our life so that He could save ours. And then He went back. To heaven as our priest, Amen. he stands before God as a mediator. He's our middleman, the middleman in a lot of business transactions. Like Jennifer, my wife's a real estate agent, and a lot of people think I ain't giving that real estate agent a commission. Well, we've watched that happen time and time again because the people don't sell houses a whole lot, and they don't understand the legal issues going on in selling of houses. And so when you become a realtor, you have to take law classes and things like that to be able to protect your client from being sued or ripped off or buying a house that's got issues. And so that's what a realtor's job is. They're just a transaction coordinator that's to protect their client. They're the middleman. I've watched a lot of people make a lot of mistakes for getting into business deals without a middleman because they just didn't want to pay what it costs to have one. And I've also paid a lot of middlemen in my life, and they've saved me tons of headaches. I've been able to walk away from bad real estate issues because our real estate agent would let us know what was actually happening and save us fortunes. Saying that, say this, Jesus is our middleman. He's our priest, our representative. But we've got a priest like no other priest. The Bible says in Mark, it says that when Jesus ascended to heaven, He went as our mediator. But it said this, it says He walked in and He sat down... At the right hand of the Father. Now, that's odd. That's very odd that that takes place. We read over some, we read the scriptures sometimes, we just read over some very important things sometimes. For him to go to heaven as our high priest and to sit down is odd. Because in the designation of the tabernacle in the temple designed by God, there was something that God did not put in it. And it's a chair. Because priest's jobs were never done. They got up day after day and had to lay sacrifices before the Lord to keep the people covered and to keep the offerings going, and so their job never ended. So the priestly on duty job was to never sit down because the work was never done. Jesus being our high priest, the Bible says, Hebrews teaches that he's the, a, a higher priest. He's a greater high priest. As his blood speaks of greater things. He walked into heaven. And he sat down. Do you know why he did that? Because he finished the work that a human priest could never finish. He came in and he sat down. And when he sat down, he said this, It's enough. I have bridged the gap. You don't have to keep trying to work on it. You don't keep got to keep trying to get better. You don't got to keep trying to earn it. I... Finished it. And I'm going to take a break. All you got to do is come across the bridge that I built for you. And Jesus said this. So he said, I am the way, the truth. And there's no other way to the Father but by him. But he is the best and only one that could have done it. And so when he came in and he sat down, he said, now it's able for you to come across too. This gap has been bridged. And God looked at Jesus and said, now I can go back where they are. The relationship has been established. There's a true story. Let me read the story to you. It says this. In, um, in 1936, there was a historical radio broadcast that was about to take place in England. And it was going to be the first radio broadcast that went from England to America. The first time they've ever bridged the gap between the nations through the radio airwaves. There was a radio station in New York, um, WJZ, that was going to broadcast King Edward VIII Talking and appreciating the Americans that had come over years before. And so they were getting ready to broadcast the situation live. And as King Henry Eighth, I mean Edward Eighth, walked up to the podium to begin to speak, an intern ran across the studio's floor in New York and stepped on the connecting cable and broke the line. And all the engineers and everyone began to freak out. Because no one could figure out how to fix it in time. And this is... What happened? One smart thinking um, intern jumped up, ran over and grabbed one side of the cable with one hand, grabbed the other side of the cable with the other, right as the king began to speak. And when he began to speak, the nation of America heard every word King Edward VIII said. The words that King Edward spoke from England traveling through went through the body of this intern and came out back to the people that were to hear. That's what Jesus did. He became a transmitter that bridged the gap and let the Word from heaven be able to impact the life of earth. And He's the perfect mediator. When no one else here, it actually became Him that did it. Now, that's so important for this reason. Because a priest, first, Jesus, what He God said, the work is done. But the next thing you got to look at is this, going back to the Magi. They had seats beside kings. They were a priestly tribe. And this is what they did. There were only two people that were allowed to sit beside a king. Generals and priests. And their job was to advise kings in decisions that were to be made. The Bible says Jesus is sitting in that seat at the right hand of God in heaven today. And He don't got His mouth shut. The Bible said He's actually interceding. He's actually talking to God about you and me. It says He's sitting there and He's telling God, God, we need to fix her health today. God, we need to reach their kid today. God, we need to get their finances. God, we need it. And when a king listens... To a priest, it becomes law. Is what the is the Persian laws? It was the laws of the Persians and the Medes. When the king would repeat what the priests had said then it became law, and once it became law, it couldn't be broken. God and Jesus are in heaven today. He is standing before God, or sitting before God, interceding on your behalf, saying, it says, so we can make known our petitions and the petitions of others. Come boldly, because Jesus don't mind asking God for anything for you, because He loves you so much. And He's sitting there, they're having a conversation about what and how things should be done in your life. And the Bible tells us, out of those conversations, only good comes your way. And so God is Sudden, they're talking about good things to be released because he is the high priest. And when they gave him frankincense, they recognized that everything's fixing to change. This desire inside of us to be have God involved in our situations can now be fixed. So they offered him frankincense. Now let me tell you, and then I'm closing. How they get frankincense? It comes from a Baswasi tree that is uh, native to the Afghan, the Arab, and those nations. It's an Arab nation tree, and like Saudi Arabia grows there, those Arab nations in that area, it's there. So it wasn't natural in Israel. It only got to Israel by being imported on caravans. The Baswabi tree, it was a tree that at one point in the year they would come and they would take the bark off at the bottom and they would take a knife and they would have to stick it deeply into the tree. And it had to be done at winter. Now, these are all very important things because all of them are symbolic to how we that's how This is how they did it in the Old Testament. So we've got to learn what does this mean so we can do it in the New Testament. And what that means is this. Man, it's easy to give God praise and worship when things are good. But see, when you worship in winter, winter's is an association to hard things. This is what the Bible says. And the Bible says, surely there is treasure in the snow. In the middle of your hard situation, in the middle of your winter season, there's a treasure available to you. And the winter, they had to stick the tree in the winter and it would ooze out a amber-colored sap. And it, would, they, it was a resin. And when it would dry, it would turn white. And the actual Hebrew word for frankincense is actually the word white. It's the white incense. And then they would grind it down. And then they would burn it. But remember, I told you, I'm going to come back to these weird spices that were there before. See, there was that gumball spice that was historically repulsive to the smell. When you smelt it, it was bitter is the best way they describe it. It it was repulsive. And yet God said, put this in there with it. Because what that being in the incense and in the frankincense would do, it's the same thing well vomit does for me and you. How many of ladies got up this morning and sprayed on some perfume? All you ladies with your hands up, you sprayed well vomit on yourself today. Well vomit, it's actually got a name, but it's actually well vomit, is a digestive wax goo junk that forms in only sperm whales, and it is repulsive. I mean, fishermen, they love to see it, they hate to smell it. But what they do with it is they mix, you can take it and you mix it with fine perfumes and it enhances the smell and it makes it last longer on you. It's one of the most valuable things on the earth. A pound, uh, uh, it sells for, uh, right now I googled it this morning, $40,000 per kilogram. To put it into reference, some fishermen a few months ago found a 220 pound piece floating and it was worth $3.3 million. Changed their life forever. I'm telling you to tell you, why did God say take what he loves to smell and put it with something that stinks. Because now, when we are in the middle of a stinking situation in our life and we apply frankincense to it, it enhances and makes the effect last longer than it should on a natural level. You say, But well, Cricket, I would worship God if I just could, but I can't. Well, then you take your can't and you apply it to your worship and you watch how valuable it becomes. See, everything don't got to be good to worship God. As a matter of fact, the deeper the knife would go, the more of the sap would flow. You say, Cricket, I've just been hurt too bad. Then that's what you worship from. Cricket, I've just been broken too long. Well, that's what you worship from. Cricket, I'm just so addicted. That's what you worship from. Because, see, it's a sweet-smelling phrase. It's easy to worship God when everything's good. Easy when things work. But it's not a gift until you actually worship Him from a broken place. The Bible says, bring the sacrifice of praise. Meaning that it's not all pretty. But we're bringing it to our priest. And when we bring it to our priest, what it does is, it allows God to smell it. Now see, you've got to understand the difference between praise and worship. Right? Praise is what we do to draw God in. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people. But worship doesn't draw God in. What worship does is gets God to move. You praise, He comes, you worship, it releases Him. To fill every air it. No matter when I lit these incense in here, I don't care where I got in this room, you could smell it. Because it releases God to move into every part of your life. It doesn't matter how deep or how far it seems. These guys have waited their entire life To have somebody bridge a gap that they couldn't bridge. And to have somebody stand at the right hand of the Father and sit down and begin to tell Him what it is in your life and in their life needed to be done. For their life to begin to shift and move in the hand of God, get involved in where they were. This gift is the gift that releases the power of God into your situation. And it's called the gift of frankincense. And it's the gift of adoration. Like I said, we don't have a word in the Bible for adoration. But it's deep, inward, devoted worship to the Lord. And so, when you need a priest to represent you, you need a priest to fight on your behalf. When you need a priest to advise the king, how to help you come out of your situation, then you have to release a sweet-smelling fragrance unto the presence of God. And it will draw God in and release God to move. This is the gift that they wanted to bring. I believe they wanted to give frankincense before they gave gold. But you can't give frankincense until you give gold. He has to become your king. Then you can give Him worship. And they waited their entire life to finally be able to touch the hand of a living God. And it still works today. So I want to give you an opportunity. I don't know what you're going through, I don't know what your situation is, I don't know what current situations are. But I can tell you this: if they're not good, the greater it can flow. Here in a cold season, the greater the anointing can be. And you'll just begin to lift up a worship. Your high priest that is a greater high priest, will begin to intercede and work on your behalf. And what the king repeats a priest say becomes law. And a king's law cannot be broken. So I want to just give us that chance. Pastor Lee is going to lead us in this song. Go come, let us adore him. And I want you to reach into your deepest broke, your deepest hurt, your deepest place. And see, this is where I told you... They came and they they asked, where's the king? They came seeking the king. But you know what I think they got excited about? When it says they were exceedingly full of joy, they knew what they couldn't do was about to be done. I want to prophesy this over you today. What you can't do is about to be done. Your priest is about to bridge a gap that you can't fix. You can't change her heart. You can't heal your body. You can't have that. You can't do what's about to have happen. But I'm telling you, when you worship your priest, he can do what you can't be done. So let's worship from a place of adoration. And then you'll be dismissed. Bring us there, Miss Leah. Oh,
1: come let us adore.